So hopefully everyone has an outline. Is there anyone that does not have an outline? Everyone has an outline? It's a lot easier to follow if you do. We are doing two services simultaneously, eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. This is the 99th message in that series. We uh, will probably end up, uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to be well under 200 messages by the time we're done. Happy to announce. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, um, we are now redoing the Baptizing the Holy Spirit series, which we did as a four-part series in 2012. Uh, earlier, we'd done it as a longer series. This is kind of a longer series. We'll probably use the, the shorter series to help people who are getting started in the things of the Lord. And um, Getting baptized in the Spirit, if, if you uh, start mining the scriptures with the idea that there are biblical patterns and biblical models for the tabernacle, for grace, for the gospel, everything in, in the scripture, you should be looking for patterns, prototypes, and so forth. Many of the characters of the Old Testaments are prototypes of Christ, for instance. And so we're going to touch on one or two of those today. So what we uh, started last week is we're at uh, chapter 11 of the Baptizing the Holy Spirit version of the series. And we're looking at the pattern and the progression of the ministry and activity and role of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay? So what we want, uh, so you can actually, we're not going to review anymore because I want to get more covered this uh, week. These are on podcast. At the end of your outline, there's an email address that you can send an email to Stephen Leopold. He will send you all the outlines or whatever outlines you request to this or any of the other series, the Grace Upon Grace series, the Gift series, etc. So um, there is a shorter version of this series. Most people aren't going to want a 200-part series on the gospel. Uh, but the reason we have a 200-part series on the gospel is the tendency in Christianity since about 1830 has been to reduce, 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 reduce the gospel. And in, in trying to give shorter, briefer presentations that require less studiousness and less diligence to understand, uh, what we've also done is, is uh, removed many elements of the gospel. And so what, we're, what we really want to do is uh, the mandate of why God pours his spirit out is the spirit comes to lead and guide us into all the truth. Now that was done ultimately and has given us the New Testament canon of scripture, which in my conservative view was finished by about 70 AD. However... Um, he continues to help us see the scripture. And in every generation, there are things that are, that are missing in the church's understanding of scripture. Jesus said, I will build my church. And how he builds it is by the person and ministry and power of his Holy Spirit. And a big part of that is his illumining the scriptures to us so that we can understand them. God will never show you by the Holy Spirit anything contrary to what's always been in the Bible but he'll show you many things contrary to your, what you thought was in the Bible. And, uh, and that should be an ongoing part of your Christian life all your days. You should expect to come to the scripture to find out where your understanding has been darkened and where you have not uh, yet seen the light of Christ. So, um, we're... Uh, you know, the whole series is about kind of the most neglected member of the Trinity, 
the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And we're kind of looking, not, like last week and this week, we're looking at uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. So you should be on the back side of your page. And uh, point A, I'm, I just reduced from last week's outline so I could have a little more space to work with. But I left some of the scriptures we covered last week. So the most important thing that you need to see is that we talked about how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is the eternal Son of God. There are three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was never a time when Jesus was not filled with the Holy Spirit. And in his humanity and in his incarnation, there was never even a brief instant when he was not filled with the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. That's why John the Baptist, in, at the age of six months in his mother's womb, leaps for joy, or shortly thereafter, because the angel came to Mary in the six months, so how long it took her to travel to see Elizabeth, we don't know. But uh, when Mary uh, greets Elizabeth... John the Baptist jumps for joy in, in his womb because uh, John the Baptist senses the power of the Holy Spirit coming from Mary's womb. That's why. So, um, and we talked a little bit about how even babies can experience and know, although they may not have the cognitive skills to know the presence of the Lord, they know and respond to the joy of the Lord in worship and, and so forth. And uh, children should grow up in the power of the Holy Spirit. In families and churches that are filled with the ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, er everywhere, all the time. Now, we see the Holy Spirit working in Jesus uh, at his bar mitzvah, so to speak, when at age 12, when he's in the temple and he's confounding the Pharisees and the scribes with his wisdom by asking them insightful questions. In a Hebrew mindset, you, uh, your wisdom was not considered all the declarations you make. Your wisdom was considered the depth of the questions you asked. And Jesus is, is starting a thing that he does all through the Gospels. He's asking them questions that because of their wrong approaches to God and their wrong externalistic uh, environmental paradigms and so forth, so similar to today's Christianity, they can't answer the questions because it doesn't fit with their wrong understandings of Scripture. Even though these were guys who had memorized the entire Scripture and the commentaries that went with it. And Jesus, go, you know, in his ministry, says, this is the reason you're mistaken. You know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Because if you don't know the scriptures and the power of God, then you don't know them at all. So, last week we got to the baptism of John and the commencement of Jesus' public ministry. So I'm going to just pick up there for the rest of today. And I'm not doing too bad, only took 10 minutes to, to get, review what we've done so far, which is not according to my usual misconceived pattern. Uh, now, uh, 
The reason I use the word commencement, we've uh, been to a lot of commencements and are going to a lot of commencements in this time of year. And uh, the reason, you know, like we're losing vocabulary skills as a country, I would really encourage you that there's lots of words that are worth fighting to keep in the vocabulary. Commencement is one of them because it's a lot more than a graduation. It's a lot more than you finished a course of study. You finished a course of preparation to begin a life of service and ministry, right? So Jesus does not appear uh, it, to be baptized by John and to start his public ministry when he's three years old, although he was the son of God and grew up filled with the Holy Spirit. He would have, like most boys from Galilee, he would have memorized all of the Pentateuch and most of the rest of the Old Testament by the age of 12, because that's what you did if you grew up in the synagogue in Galilee in those days. So, uh, but for whatever reason, the father chooses to send him at the age of 30, and he comes to John. Now, the whole passage is worth reading, and I think I, think I will take time to read it. I'll just uh, so go to Matthew 3.13. I only put on the page as much as I can fit on... Uh, front and back of one page. So, um, <laughs> let's even go back a little further. Let's start in verse 7. Well, I don't know when to, where to start. We could start in verse 1, but for time's sake, John appears in, in the wilderness. He has the same message as you're going to read in Matthew 4, 17, when Jesus starts his message, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Uh, the same message the apostles had in Acts 2. When they say, what should we do? The first thing Peter does is rep says, repent. You don't hear that word much in churches today. But uh, your message probably should start with that word. Um, then he, uh, he has a camel haired spark coat and... Uh, He's into health foods, <laughs> drinking kombucha and eating locusts and wild honey. <laughs> and uh, and because he's such a loving, gentle, modern guy, he start, the Pharisees come to see him, and he says, you brood of vipers. <laughs> what a way to start the message. <laughs> I'd like you to meet Bob over here. You brood of viper, how are you? All right. Um, so they're confessing their sins, and he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers, you know, a snake pit where the baby snakes are born. Uh, he tells them to bring forth fruit and keep, keep with their repentance, and, that, and he kind of challenges. He teaches the same thing Jesus teaches in John 8 and Paul teaches in Romans 4, that the true children of Abraham are those who are of faith. And faith always produces works. True repentance always leads to the fruits of repentance. Works don't produce favor with God. But true faith produces favor. And true favor produces godly character. And uh, so forth. So he tells them that, you know, they got a root problem. They need a little rotor-rooter action. And, uh, and he uh, says, I baptize with repentance, but he who's mightier is coming after me is mightier than I am not fit to remove his sandals. 
he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he'll gather his wheat into the barn, but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrives. Uh, whenever you see the asterisks, if you have a new, new American standard, they do more with verb tenses. Uh, the asterisk is actually kind of telling you that it's an ongoing present tense. Like, it's, it's putting you in the story. So you're, you're in the story, and you're in the audience, and Jesus arrives. You know, it's like you're watching a play. Jesus arrives from Galilee to the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized. John tries to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. Let's hope I can get through this without crying. But Jesus answering said to them, Permit it at this time, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John permits him. Uh, he's, uh, after he's baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, the voice of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And uh, then the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, let's uh, see what we can draw out of them, out of these things. Um, Going to make, oh, a bunch of points out of this. So, we'll see how many. <laughs> I have four on the page. Hopefully, we'll, we'll stay. The first thing is this is one of the great Trinitarian verses of Scripture. Um, we see the activity of the Father. We see the acti- the We see the... Father speaking openly, we see the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a, a dove, and God telling us that this is his, the son of his love, his beloved son, his favored one. Okay, So um, we see all members of the Trinity here. Now, um, when God speaks over Jesus, as we pointed out last week, he speaks, uh, in some of the Gospels, it records it as you, and some of the Gospels record it as this. And then, of course, this is repeated several times in the Gospels, God speaking over Jesus at various places, like at the Mount of Transfiguration and so forth. And depending on the Gospel writer, uh, it goes back and forth between and the, and the situation, because some of the Gospel writers do you in one place and this in another place. Now, the reason that that's important is this. When he says you, it's implying that the Father is speaking this to the Son as a word of affirmation. One of the reasons we stress getting a greater release of the Holy Spirit and stress this whole thing of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 14 and 15, tells us that the Son of God bears witness to us that we're children of God. You know, as you, uh, I would consider you to read our, encourage you to read our 12 foundational books. We kind of set it up so you could read one a month and do it in a year. One of them is called Today's Gospel. And he deals with so much of today's erroneous gospel and how much time we have to spend in the church today try, trying to encourage uh, those who've prayed sinners' prayers that don't worry, you're eternally secure and so forth. Maybe if we converted them to a more biblical gospel in the first place, we wouldn't need to do that. Because the Spirit of God, when people are truly regenerated and truly converted, 
the Spirit of God bears witness to your spirit that your sins are forgiven, that you are a son of God, that you were chosen. You didn't choose him. He chose you. Uh, that he appointed you before, you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated before they did one thing right or wrong. And God chose you uh, before you lived a profligate life or a religious life or the wrong motives or whatever your, the death he brought you out of into life was and, uh, and so forth. And, and as, as you truly come into the spirit, your spirit bears witness by the Holy Spirit that this is true. And you know that you know that you're the son or daughter of God. Now, any, what, what being baptized in the spirit is, the word baptized means to, to immerse or submerge. It's a greater encounter and release of that same spirit that you received in regeneration through all of your Christian life. And we know this because Jesus is always the pattern. We're going to see the same pattern as we go through the book of Acts starting next week. But we first and foremost need to assert that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. I'm not saying necessarily when you pray a sinner's prayer, because it's quite possible to pray a sinner's prayer and not truly have anything happen. But when you are truly converted by the Spirit of God... You are, and your spirit is quickened, and you receive a new life in a new heart with new attitudes and new motivations where you can't stand sin anymore, and you love and want to pursue God, and, all, and you're hungry for his word, and you're filled with his life, and all, all the, what we teach on is the five vital signs of life. When this happens, you're transformed by the spirit of God, and the spirit of God bears witness to your spirit, and you know it. Because your spirit is no longer dead and unable to hear. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And you know that you know that you know. I love to uh, start any debate on creation and evolution. I love to read books on that. I'm kind of a dinosaur, I guess. (laughs) Pun intended. Six-day creation and all that. But... uh, But I just like to say, this is, a, this is a matter of who you know. It's a matter of faith commitments. Now, I think the, you know, well, let's not get into that issue. But, uh, you know, long before I had read 150 books on creation, evolution, debate, and so forth, the first time, when I became a Christian at age 17, I, was, I read through Genesis. And I said, God, do you want us to believe that... Genesis 1 and 2 actually happened like this, that there was a prototypical, I probably didn't know the word prototypical at that time, but uh, (laughs) husband and wife, and it all started from them and so forth. And, uh, you know, the Spirit of God said yes. And I've been a six-day creationist ever since, uh, even though the evidence has piled up over the years. Because the Spirit of God bears witness to the truth. And he bears witness to your sonship. And so what God the Father is saying to Jesus is, you are my beloved son. One of the reasons getting baptized in the Spirit and learning to walk, and we're going to talk about the progression of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life today. One of the reasons it's important to continue in that progression is because that is the antidote to insecurities. Now, we do a lot of casting out demons and things like that, and people struggle with demons of self-hatred and insecurity and all kinds of things. 
But the bottom line is it's not just the casting out of demons that sets you free. The truth will set you free. And if you, Jesus said in John 8 that if you abide in his word, you'll know the truth. You'll truly be my disciples, which means if you're not abiding in his word, you're a false disciple. And if you are a true disciple and you're abiding in his word, you'll know that truth and that truth will set you free. Revelation, illumination of God through the scripture sets you free. When the scripture becomes who you are. When the word becomes flesh in you. So that's why God the Father saying you is such an important point that I probably shouldn't have preached on that long because now I'm never going to finish the outline. Oh, well. Uh, However, he also says, this is my beloved. Now, last week, I I, uh, listed a bunch of the scriptures on last week's outline so you can compare them, uh, where sometimes it says you and sometimes this, and that's important. Because when he says, this is my beloved son, he's saying it to Chris like and to you. He's saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. My good pleasure is in him. Now, he's saying... Uh, in the Hebrew culture, there was a public uh, time when the father would say, my son is now an, an adult part of our business. And he is able to transact business from the corporation. He's saying he's no longer a manager at, the, at uh, Walmart. You know, you know when, you go, when you go to uh, Walmart or something and you ask an employee, Gee, this thing has a rip in it. Can you take $10 off? I don't know. I'm not authorized to do anything. <laughs> I've not been empowered for anything. And uh, so you're like, well, can I see a manager who, who can speak on behalf of the corporation <laughs> as to whether you can take $1.95 off of this thing <laughs> and make big decisions like that? Uh, <laughs> It, and what, what God is saying, this is, this, is, it's, this is not an accident that this is the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. Hebrews 1 tells us that in past times, uh, God spoke through the prophets in sundry, he used the King James, various ways and at various times. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And the son is the exact representation of the father. So what this is, when, he, when God is saying, this is my beloved son, he's saying he is now authorized to represent. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, as Jesus later said in, in John 14 at the Last Supper to Philip and the others, right? So if you want to know what the Father's like, read the Gospels and study Jesus, because he's exactly doing what the Father does. You know, the leper comes to him and says, if you're willing to cleanse me, you can cleanse me. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to check on that. I'll have to get back. I'm not a manager. I'm going to have to check the manager and see if we can uh, transact that. He just says, I am willing Because the I am is the I am that I am. He's saying the Father is willing. And then he does something that blows their mind. He doesn't 
just speak a word to him, although he does cleanse lepers that way. But he lays hands on the leper, which would the whole society would have gone, oh, you're laying hands on a leper? He's saying, hey, it's not the unclean that makes things, that makes, that's more powerful. So many Christians live their life afraid of the world around them. You know, afraid of, to be of everything, foods, sexuality, whatever, celebrations and so forth. He's saying the clean may, is more powerful and you're clean because I laid hands on you. And what sanctifies the, the leper is not his external appearance, but the fact that Jesus has come into his life. Sorry, getting a little preaching. Uh, in Joshua chapter 1, 5, well, you can read that for yourself, but in, verse, in chapter 3, 7, Joshua, of course, is a prototype of Jesus. He even has the same name. And God's, and he's, Joshua, Jesus has, like Jesus, has taken them through the waters of baptism at the Jordan. And he's now uh, conquering their inheritance for them and, and giving them their inheritance and so forth. And God says, this day I'll begin to raise you up in the sight of all Israel. So when the Holy Spirit, when God the Father speaks to Jesus and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, the Trinity is saying, this is my beloved son. He's exactly like me. He's going to do what I do. He's my authorized representative. Listen to him because if you listen to him, you're listening to me. If you disobey him, you're disobeying me. And as Moses prophesied, God's going to raise up a prophet like me, and you shall listen to him in everything. And whoever doesn't listen to him will be cut off from his people, which is what happened to Israel in the days of Christ. That's why the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and the temple torn down and so forth in 70 AD. And that's why Jesus predicts this will happen within a generation in the Mount Olivet Discourse because they are not willing to listen to the beloved son. Because, as he tells in the parable of the vineyard, God planted a vineyard, he rented it out to prophets, vine growers, and so forth. Finally, he sent his son, and they said, let's kill him. Because we want, don't want God to rule this vineyard. We will not have this man to rule over us. We want to rule over the vineyard and use it for our purposes, for our fame, for our fortune, for our TV productions, and, and building up our ministry and our name. Glory to the modern mega thing. That's exactly what the Pharisees were. It's exactly what the church is going through today. Almost everywhere. All right, I better move on. <laughs> uh, the beloved son, let's, is, is actually the fulfillment of lots of prophecies. For time's sake, I'm just going to read Isaiah 42. If you're looking for it in your Bible and you're not familiar with the Bible, it's right after Isaiah 41. It's no extra charge for the jokes because I know they're not that good. All right. Behold my servant in whom I uphold, 
my chosen one in whom my soul delights. Now, if you study the Greek of, of these places where it says, behold, my beloved son, beloved really isn't enough to translate it right, to be honest. It's really the son of my pleasure, the son of my love. This is my, like, the guy I'm Twitter-pated over. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, be disrespectful to God or anything. I have loved, last night we had uh, Emily's first birthday party, keeping her in the wise tradition that we uh, always celebrate the birthday sometime in the same month or so that the birthday actually happened. Not Emily's, Susan's first birthday. <laughs> Sorry, Emily, wherever she is. Is she here? She's downstairs, I guess. She didn't hear that. Edit that tape. We, no. <laughs> we had Susan's first birthday. And uh, in our family, we're always so busy that we usually celebrate your birthday an average of about, oh, 10 days to two weeks after it actually happened. But, uh, and so uh, it's like, we usually get to it in the same month, unless you're born at the end of the month. But uh, <laughs> then we'll just tack it on to Christmas. No, uh, just kidding. But anyway, so uh, it's been a joy to watch my son behave just like I did, just like you probably did. Uh, he's like, you know, loving this baby and flying her around the room all the time. And did you see that she smiled? <laughs> Boy, you know, like, and you see, she learned how to crawl, she, you know, so forth. Because he's like totally captivated, right? He's in love. He's, you know, like to use that, what is it, the... What the little deer? A Bambi. He's Twitter-pated. Didn't the rabbit or something say Twitter-pated? Uh, you know, like, you know, like he's he's lost all perspective in a, in in the right direction, right? <laughs> that's that's kind of how that what that's what the father's saying. Like, I take great delight in this son. He moves me. He moves me so much that I'm about to show you more about who the Father is than I've shown through all the prophets in all the history of my people. In one three-and-a-half-year ministry, I'm going to show you more of myself than I've shown you. You want to get to know a guy? Hang out when he's like got a baby and he's all Twitter-pated and so forth, and you'll get to know a lot about a father's heart. I love watching all the fathers in our church changing diapers and doing all kind of... Zerbers and weird stuff. It's good. <laughs> that's, uh, and that's why you need a greater encounter of the Holy Spirit. Because with a greater encounter of the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to know that that's what God is actually saying to every born-again believer in Christ. We receive so many messages that are not what God is saying about who we are and how he feels about us. Part of the reason that legalism chokes out reality and truth so deeply is because you don't sense the Father rejoicing over you that way. And guess what? Even when you fail and you come to him and ask forgiveness, remember when the prodigal son came back to the father, he didn't even get to give his whole speech, right? He said, I'm going to tell my father all these things. He never got it out. I'm not saying you shouldn't confess your sins. I'm just saying while you're confessing your sins, he is 
putting on a robe of righteousness and new sandals and killing a fatted calf and putting their you know ring covenant ring back on and uh, and saying, "This is my beloved son or daughter, in whom I'm well pleased." That's why having a greater encounter of the Holy Spirit is an absolute essential starting point in the Christian life. This is not for mature Christians. That's why, as we're going to see in the pattern next week, just like God gave Jesus the the baptism in the Spirit at the start of his ministry, so he gave it in the New Testament at the start of Christian lives. Because you need that kind of power of the Holy Spirit to get past the ABCs. To begin to know how he feels about you. And believe me, although it doesn't sound very theologically accurate, it's not just about intellectual abstract truth. That's foundational, but it's about the meat, the word becoming flesh. It really is not just about what the Bible says about his covenant added faithfulness toward us and so forth, but it's about the fact that he translates that into spirit in emotion, and he fawns over you, and he loves you, and he wants to you to play and laugh and be with daddy. I love watching, I've been, had the pleasure of uh, beating Chris Wu home from work a couple times, and, uh, and, and I love like how Hannah lights up when he walks in the door, right? Because it's like, daddy's here, you know? <laughs> and uh, What the Holy Spirit wants to do in your Christian life, so many of us were brought up in Christian traditions that that's not our reality. We were brought up with too much harshness. And I'm not at all diminishing the fact that God is holy, just, righteous, and perfect. But he's also quick to forgive. I've never once seen a father say, you know, well, we're, let's not feed her because she just messes her diapers up. <laughs> we think God thinks like that. I'm never going to get this sermon done. <laughs> oh. All right, so let's move on to the next point. Jesus as the model, the pattern. Prototype. Now, we did a whole bunch on that in, in a couple messages ago, so we're not going to go that much into that. Just I want you to understand the part where he says um, to John, it's important to fulfill all righteousness. I almost didn't get the message done this morning, partly because I got a new computer and I forgot that I didn't have a lot of things set up the way I wanted yet because it was my first time on it. But uh, second, most importantly, because I couldn't stop crying when I read this verse. And I'm hoping to maybe open it up to us just a little bit. When, John, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist, uh, this is what I couldn't stop crying over. John the Baptist rightfully says, wait a minute, I have need to be baptized by you. You're coming to be baptized by me? Right? And that happens right after he had just said, the one who comes will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And right before that, he said, 
the thong of his sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Now, if you don't know Greek, uh, Hebrew culture, the, the metaphor is simply this. The, the lowliest of servants, when you came into a, a household, would take your sandals off and wash your feet. And like the master of the household didn't do that. Just like when the prodigal son comes back and it says the father ran to him. Hebrew fathers didn't run to you, <laughs> right? Uh, that, you know, so he's, Jesus is telling us he's a different kind of father than you've known. And he's, John the Baptist is telling us, this is a guy, I'm not even worthy to be this household servant who washes the, the feet of the travelers that come in all. And you, you know, in those days, there weren't paved roads. Animals would defecate on the roads. You're, you wore sandals, and your feet would be a little messed up by the time you walked maybe eight miles from one town to another. And so one of the kindest things you could do to your, for your guest was to sit them down and take off their sandals and wash their feet. And that's what the lowliest of the servants of the household did. And John the Baptist understands the righteousness of Jesus so much that he says, I, I can't baptize you. Are you kidding me? And I, I'm glad I'm, the Lord's given me grace to keep. I, just, I couldn't stop weeping this morning for a long time as I thought about this passage. Like, who are we to have Jesus come in our house? But Jesus doesn't listen to John the Baptist. It's important to know when you should listen to people and when you should not listen to people. And you should not listen to people when God has something else in mind. And Jesus says, permit it at this time because we're setting a pattern here. And all my people are going to follow this pattern. And although I have no need to be baptized, Jesus doesn't disagree with John. He doesn't say, I need this to, make, to cleanse me or make me righteous. I need this to fulfill the model and the pattern the Father has given us for the thousands and thousands that will come behind and follow in my footsteps. It's a powerful passage. Oh, boy. We'll be on this for a few weeks, maybe. This, isn't this good stuff? It's good stuff, really. Uh, maybe too simple, I don't know. All right, next, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Please understand, if there's one major problem with evangelical Christianity today, it's that our God is too small. We don't believe in the providence and sovereignty of God. All the omni-attributes like omnipresent, omniscient, and so forth. We don't sing he's our buckler. We sing he's our butler. You know, it, it, we have a, too small a view of who we, God is and too big a view of who we are. That's the whole point of the first of element one and two of this series. So what you need to see is that the, the devil did not lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And I don't know why, but so many Christians, who, when they realize a greater release in the, of the Holy Spirit in your life will cause the Holy Spirit to lead you into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil because Jesus is our pattern. And that's in a very exciting thing. If you don't see that as exciting, then, you don't, then you're not hearing a spirit that's from God about it. Because the Spirit of God's excited to lead you there. You need to go there. We all need to meet God in the wilderness. Where there's no TV cameras, people, great worship meetings. There's just you, God, and no sense of his presence. It's kind of dry sometimes and so forth. And you learn how to lean on him instead of on you. Um. <laughs> so let me just introduce this subject and we'll probably pick it up with Jesus in the wilderness next week um, if you care to get a pre-taste of this we did a whole message on this is element 5H of this series if you remember in element 5 is, is uh, Jesus Christ the solution or Jesus Christ the mediator it was an introduction to Christology and we spent 30 weeks on that okay and a letter H of that is about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Because there's so much here. Um, so let me just at least introduce the subject to you. Um, and just say this, that at the end of the wilderness, that's when Jesus comes out in the power of the Spirit. Now, I wish I had met the Christian. If you are this Christian, see me after church, and I will buy all your books and uh <laughs> no, i wish i knew someone who went through the wilderness successfully in 40 days like jesus did <laughs> but most of us it's more like 40 years like the israelites <laughs> and uh i don't know what my problem is i'm at 43 years in christ and i don't even know, know if i'm halfway through but uh, <laughs> i'm still running into strange things in the wilderness but um 40 days, of course, in the Bible speaks of preparation. Moses fasted 40 days. Children of Israel went 40 years. Um, boy, there's so much here. We'll just, we're just going to have to get into it uh, next week. Um, so let me, let me just uh, kind of foreshadow where we're going. Jesus as the pattern of our ongoing progression. What God intends for you to learn in the wilderness is what Paul learned when he says, uh, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. One of the problems with today's lack of grace Christianity is you, you know, yell at your wife in the parking lot, and then you shake hands to the people as you're coming in the church. How are you doing? Great, great, great. And we, you know, like, we all have to be uh, who we're not. I would encourage you, get, the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek hypocrisis. And it's uh, the, from the, in the Greek plays, uh, an actor would often play more than one part. That's why if you go to any uh, thespian department of any university, you'll see the two masks, the happy mask and the sad mask, and they're real big and so forth. Because when you changed, uh, like Basil Rothbone was, Basil Rothbone was a famous actor, played Sherlock Holmes, and if you like the old, old, old Sherlock Holmes, but... Uh, he played both God and Satan, and he, would, and he just would change the mask depending on which part he was playing. And so, hypocrisis means to wear a false mask. 
And what is, what's important about the wilderness is you're not going to go through the wilderness because of your great dedication, nor your great zeal, nor how much you study and memorize verses, nor how much you fast more than others. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other people. I'm so forth. You're going to fail in the wilderness like the children of Israel. And the message of the Bible is that your captain, Jesus, is the one who's going to take you through the wilderness. And it's going to be Jesus who empowers you to come out on the other side, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll pick that up next week. Amen.